Hello and welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. This episode is one I've been sitting on for a while. And a lot of you know, I've mentioned in the last couple episodes, I've been sitting on this for a while because we wanted to wait until the release of Psalm 3 on iTunes. So here we are, November 30th, and we are releasing the podcast and Psalm 3 is out on iTunes right now. Jason and I chatted about two months ago. It's funny, when I started doing podcasts, and I've mentioned this before, but when I started doing podcasts, my original intention was to chat with Brian McClintock, and that was kind of a a bucket list back then. Brian was the first, and Madeline from Wine Folly was the second, she, and those were the two that I really wanted to chat with. And then all of a sudden, because I chatted with Brian... I messaged Raj, and he said, yeah, sure, no problem. Then I, I messaged Bianca, and I messaged all these other people. I've obviously had great chats with wine writers and winemakers and and others in the wine world, but I mean specifically those within the, the cast of Psalm, Madeline, Brian, as examples, and Raj. The rest of the cast, I've actually got lined up quite a few of them for in December. I'm going to be chatting with uh, Dylan. And I'm going to be chatting with Dustin. As I always joke on my Instagram, I'm working my way through the list. I'm checking off everybody. And that's just those within the Psalm cast and the Psalm world. I have so many more great chats lined up for you guys. You have no idea. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy to see where we've come in the last, uh, the last year. Here we are, 18 episodes later, chatting with Jason Wise, the director of the Psalm Films. Jason's a great guy, and we, we, we've gotten along really well in this podcast, and since then, even before then, we were, we were chatting quite a bit on Instagram. He is, uh, he is a guy who, when you chat on Instagram, he'll message you right away, very honest, loves to shoot the shit, and uh, we've done that over the last few months on Instagram and stuff, and as you'll listen here, and you'll, you'll find out that uh, we had a great chat. Great chat, a great guy, and let's get right into it. It's my pleasure. No worries. You, yeah. So you've talked to like Bianca and a few other people I know, I think. Yeah. Like. Brian was really the first one that I chatted with. And then I got um, I got Raj Parr as well and Bianca. Oh, right, right. And Madeline is hopefully, I'm going to try and do Madeline from Wine Folly in a couple weeks. Oh, well. cool. Yeah, Madeline's a, Madeline's a dear friend. I have all those people. I mean, Raj. You yeah. Know. Brian's an asshole, though. <laughs> I'm very, very. I love that guy. Like to the to the bottom of my heart, man. I've known him a long, long time. Well, he he's pretty funny in our episode because he talks about your the first film and you guys literally crashing at his house. Um, oh yeah. You, you and like Jackson Myers and and everybody just kind of crashing, doing that first film and stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just well, there's yeah, there's a lot of stories around that end. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, he he tells a good story of of. You guys, uh, yeah. I, I, trust me, Brian tells a good story. I believe that, for yeah. good or for worse. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just literally, I asked him like one open-ended question, and then he just, he went, he went for like forty minutes. So that was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, making the first time was quite a, quite a film to make. Well, and that was but, kind of your, that was your big, like that literally got you into this world of, especially with the wine world, right? That really kind of got your your passion kind of going, right? Like. Yeah, so basically what happened was I went to film school and I kind of bartended my way through that um, in Southern California. I'm from I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. So I came out to California, went to film school, bartending, and I realized really early that if I served my professors who came in after work while I was still bartending, if I sort of let's just say I, I gave them some good wine and they didn't really have to pay very much. I ended up getting the gear I wanted for my films pretty easily. And I, re- I learned really quick, wine is, um, it, it, it's a good mafia tool, you know. <laughs> but, you know, then I got a job directing a travel show and I did that for a while and I, I mean, that was all over the world. Pretty, pretty epic stuff. And I, I kind of started as an underwater photographer and so I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And I was developing a film uh, that took place in, in the Champagne region during World War One, And I was really stressing hard about how to get this done. It was a very ambitious project for where I was in my career and all these things. And yeah, I watched Brian Blind Taste and I sort of, you know, I played sports in high school and all this stuff. And so I, my jaw hit the floor when I saw these guys 
kind of acting like I remember the wrestling team acting, you know, when I was in high school. And so I, I just couldn't believe it. And then when I met Ian, which was not long after, that's when I realized I had a film. I mean, right. Brian, Brian is a, a good friend and he's incredibly funny. And I think that the movie wouldn't exist without him in a million reasons. But, but Ian is the person who kind of cemented this to, to be a movie because Ian wanted to be a master sommelier as bad as I wanted to be a filmmaker, you know? And so I thought this guy's going to either kill himself or succeed. And that's how I feel about what I'm trying to do. So that's when I realized there's a movie here, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, that's, and that's a good way. To, that's, that's a good way to say it because then you can, you see that extreme passion. Right. And right to the point of like Bianca calls it, they, they obsess about, they're obsessed about obsession, you know, almost, she has she has right. a quote about literally obsessing about being obsessed about it. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, well, you know, Bianca would certainly know from I mean, a slightly different perspective, but from in the same world at least. Yeah, no yeah. question about it. And I guess for her, her her friend Morgan Harris is one that I think in her world is that obsessive. Uh, certainly. He, well, he you know, Sam Sam was turned into a into a television show called Uncorked in the United States, and it was on Esquire Network and it took place in New York City and Morgan was a, a major character in that. So Yeah. Yeah. You you were in, you were involved in that, right? That, that's your yeah. idea? Uh you know, it wasn't really my idea. I have to say I was I, I didn't want to do a reality show at all. In fact I pushed back pretty hard, but my wife and I were executive producers on it. So I mean it came from Sam. Essentially they saw Sam and they said, you know, we very much like to do a reality show based on this and kind of follow some people. And so it, it came about in a bunch of different steps that would be, but yeah, I can't, I definitely can't take credit for the show being my idea, but it came from some film. Well, that's, uh, that's, it is funny that you say that because I was going to ask you about that because I remember watching that and it kind of ties into this year because, uh, as you know, Morgan just recently got his master song and so Dana and a lot so, of the, so did so did Jane. So Jane, Jane. Lopes, who's who's a dear friend. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. We are so proud of Jane. Yeah, and all of them, by the way. Not to, not yeah. to anything. I mean, like, but Jane Jane is just somebody who I've personally known for many years, and she's just really, really had her heart out on a plate trying to do this. And it's just so nice to see these people I care so much about finally get over this hump. And I mean, there are, I would say, and I think a lot of master signs would agree, there are very few people outside of spouses of these people who understand the process like myself and my crew. That's just, you know, sort of just, we've been in, in, embedded with these people for so long. So yeah, I'm very proud of them. Well, and that's, I think that's a testament also to films like Salmon and that, that Uncork series, because personally as someone who's watched them, uh, you, f you feel invested, you get an emotional investment in people like, like Jane and, and, and John and all these characters or not characters, but these, you know, personalities and I, I feel emotionally invested. I was quite happy to see that, you know what I mean, as, as someone who was a fan of, of, of watching that. That, right, to me, right, shows right. that that came through, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about Uncorked and, and especially Psalm is that, you know, yeah, it's, there's a reality aspect to it. But the thing is that competition or test or whatever you want to call it was happening whether or not cameras were there. So, I mean, right. the the thing that drew me to some, you know, there were a few people who said, like, you know, it's it's got some reality show aspects to it. It's like a blah, blah, blah. And I kept thinking, like, eh, really? I mean, this stuff would be happening whether I had cameras or not. So there's a lot of reality shows if you look at, like, Real Housewives of New York or you right. look at Mob Wives or you look – I didn't name any of these – Shows I won't say bad things about them, but whether they deserve it or not, yeah. those wouldn't happen. They, they're literally casted, scripted, right. produced. Whereas a film like Some, we kind of were like, "Holy shit, are people going to believe that this actually happened in reality?" Because it's right. so insane. I mean, like the part where Brian's up on the hill saying the worst case scenario is if this yeah. happens, and, and you know that was just Brian going, "I, I want to talk to you guys. I'm, I'm, I need to get away from the flashcards. I need to, and I want to tell you guys something." So when we, when the results finally came, and we filmed that for three and a half years, you have to understand, some though it takes place over a relatively short period of time, it, that was a, a, a Mount Everest of a film for us to make. I mean, and when the results finally came, we took a look at the things that happened throughout, and it's like, God, can we even put this in here? It looks like we manufactured it, and nothing. I mean, it all happened exactly how you saw it. I mean, so it's a pretty special thing, but that's the reality show versus the documentary title. I kind of put it in. 
if it was already going to happen, it's a documentary <laughs> kind of thing. It's a documentary and it's got that, like you said, reality based aspect, but regardless sure. of, regardless of what, whether you were there or not, it's, it just feels, I guess, a slightly like a reality because you're following people, I guess you could say at a loosely based it because you're just following their lives. Right. But yeah, yeah, um, that's one of my, like yeah. sleeping on their floors and, uh, drinking like eight bottles of wine a day with them. And yeah, it's a, that's yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously you're proud of, of people like Jane and those people who pass, but do you feel any, uh, the, the interest in being a master psalm? I mean, we had 24 people passed, right? Like half, literally half the field of people passed. Yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy. Year. Do you feel any I, kind of, you know, you know what I mean? Like do you, obviously you're, you're proud of, are you asking like what? if I think it's diluted or anything or no, no. If... I mean the, the level of interest that's now being shown, do you, do you feel like the psalm films ha have helped to contribute to this kind of, in, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say more, if anything, we're partially to blame <laughs> for that. I mean, I've, uh, you know, a lot of, it's funny, the, the there's been some backlash to the films, um, you know, especially the first one, where people say, like, look, you know, now all these people want to be sommeliers. And I think there was a there was a Time Magazine article that came out, I'd have to think, this was years ago, three or four years ago, and it basically the, the subject was, how many people are trying to become sommeliers and they, they right. directly cite the film as why, right. you know, I kind of look at this like there, no matter what, you know, the backlash was people will say there's only so many jobs for sommeliers. The funny thing about it is it's like, well, that's true, but smart people in any profession create a reason for them to exist. They create a niche, they create a, they create a thing. I mean, if you look at, and that's why the debate over what a sommelier is is so hilarious to me because people mm -hmm. are like, you know, you got to work in the restaurant, you got to do this. And so the second anybody finds success outside of a restaurant, the people who are in restaurants, frankly, a lot of them are just very angry. Um, but there are, but you can never say that a sommelier's job is not primarily restaurant based. I, I think when people find success outside. Let's say they write a book. Let's say they have a wine club. Let's say they work for even like a big winery or a distribution thing. Everybody gets all prickly about it. And my thought is like, you know, if you get a degree in archeology span and you know, you end up writing a book, let's say it's a narrative book about a guy who's an archeologist and you're successful. The archeology span field doesn't 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 jump down your throat and say, well, you're right. not an archaeologist. I right. mean, it's it's a weird profession to me because a degree or a passing a test or a certification is a window that you either go through or you don't. And um, I mean, I think the one thing about becoming a master sommelier, and you have to understand, I am not a sommelier. I would never profess to have any kind of talent like these people do, or or even close to the knowledge. But but I've been around a lot of them, and I drank a lot of crazy wines and. Um, and I appreciate history enormously and all these things. So I can, I can say a little bit about the subject. I think um, the biggest thing that I've seen them instill is that you have to continue teaching people and continue mentoring people and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that if someone stops doing that and they only are interested in their own thing, mm. whatever that profession they've gone into that's involving wine, then I think there's grounds to be mad at them from a standpoint of sommeliers. Because, I mean, if you watch – sommeliers do their job good ones and most of them really are good i mean it's not it's not common you find a bad psalm because mm. they have to be five different things they have to be someone who curates a wine list but actually also makes money for the restaurant or the distributor or whoever they work for and the making money part is very difficult because your tastes and your gut reaction to wine and just your gut on what to buy and what to sell and what you can offer to a customer and all this stuff it has to align perfectly with what can actually make money and there are certain people, and I think Raj Parr was one of these. I think, you know, there's people like Jeff Kruth who's one of these. There's people like Fred Dame who's certainly one of these. Um, Madeline Poquette is definitely one of these, and she's a certified sommelier. And I don't right. think she tries to profess that she's some genius ever. She's just a very good communicator. But what she is very good at is her gut aligns with what makes money. I mean, it's just you're able to say, look – here is this wacky grape varietal or here is this wacky producer. Or here's this thing and say, uh, you know, you should take a look at them, not because they're out there, but because they're affordable and they're delicious. And, they, you know, so it's, it's kind of this very strange balance. So there's not a lot of bad sommeliers I run into. I really don't. What I do run into are sommeliers who have become jaded and 
you know, forget that they have to keep climbing and keep moving and that kind of thing. And they sort of feel like here I am, I've done this and that's the end. Uh, whether it's a master sommelier exam or it's a great job at a restaurant, I mean, credential, right? you know, credential is important, but I don't know that it's necessary. It's like going to film school. I mean, there are plenty of the best directors in history who never went to film school. You don't have to do that. But it doesn't mean don't go to film school. It just means you don't have to. And like if you look at Aldo Sam, who's a major character in part three and was in part two, you know, at La Bernadette and he's got his own wine bar, uh, Aldo Sam wine bar. And I mean, he is – I mean, you can learn more sitting at a table with this guy in 20 minutes about wine than you could learn, you know, in a year's worth of classes. But he's not a master sommelier. So, I mean, right. it's it's just – what I'm trying to say is these people, they just never give up. They always go, okay, now there's new Shannon in South Africa. Now there's new this and now there's new – and they always move forward. So that's – I don't even know what question you asked me in the first place. But <laughs> Well, and that – to me, that's like like Raj. Like Raj isn't a master psalm, but he's, yeah. he's just someone who through the years – you know, making wine and learning about well, learning about wine and blind tasting, and and he's just well versed in so many areas. Sure. That I just naturally assumed he was because he is just that much. He's got that much knowledge that he passes on to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Raj is, um, yeah. Raj, I look forward to seeing the third film. It's pretty bonkers what happens. Um, Raj is uh, Raj is a, a very good friend and. I would say somebody from day one who has done nothing but support and help the insane ideas I have had trying to make these movies. I mean, he's a very he's a very zen kind of person, which is yeah. you know, I think rare in any field. I happen to adore that guy. He and from like from my perspective, where this is a hobby, this is something I do for fun, and for him, they say, "Yeah, let's do a podcast next week." Boom! I'm driving home. I throw you on the phone. I just, I literally just drove out of a car dealership. I got you on the phone. Let's chat. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like just zero issues with him. Hold on. I'm sorry. My five-year-old is trying to come oh, in. Is... Sweetie, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 no, sweetie. Listen, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. Okay. Can you go back inside? I'll be in and I'll be in shortly. Mari. Good. Do you see the, Do you see this guy here? I am talking to this guy right now. How are you? Um, can I have some ice cream? You need to go ask mommy and Lindsay. If they say yes, the answer is yes. I promise. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. Why is this paused? It's paused because I'm talking to this person right now. <laughs> It'll. I'll go inside and I'll be in there later. I will go in later. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> I have a I have a two year old and a five year old, both little girls. So lovely, it's, uh, lovely. They're so cute. I will. This is, I'm in my uh, office in the back of my house, and I'll oh, there nice. right now. I will regret so I will I will miss so much when little tiny feet come in and visit me while I'm working. I, I mean, it's like the greatest thing in the world. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no worries at all. You know what? You mentioned Fred Dame as one of those kind of he he to me is that like the story the original one of the original stories in the second Psalm when you were talking about him. Oh, you're, oh, you're going to like the third one. Uh, oh, boy. You're, you're killing me with... That's no, the other I mean, it's... That's it's the other thing. You've been teasing. You've been throwing out little teasers here and there. and, and uh, Yeah, well, the question is, how long do you want to talk? I can talk about Fred Dame. I can talk about... I can talk about all sorts of stuff. I, this is, you know, this is fun. So, yeah. okay, what... So, what the original story with him? Well, no, just he's that bigger than life. Obviously, as you, you know him, I mean, he's that bigger than life. The second Psalm film having a story just kind of about him and all mm -hmm. that he's meant to you know to the american wine world um, sure and obviously like you said just whatever you got in store for the third one yeah yeah you're yeah, killing me uh, you're killing well me. <laughs> i mean so the thing the, the tricky thing with these films is and I, i'm gonna say something that i think you either will believe or won't believe i don't know because the films themselves have done very well and they've been you know i, I say this with great humility because they're very hard to make and then we release them and, you know, we sit there and go, oh, please, God, yeah. you know, I've made the, the third Psalm coming out and I never intended my career to be like this. This is my fourth feature film released. It'll be, you know, I have another one coming out not long from now. It's not yeah. mine. You just never know how they're going to be received. Well, every single one of these I've made has been met with. There's no way we can sell this. I mean, right. the first Psalm, nobody would touch. It was like, you know, it was it was. Um, it was turned down by every film festival I submitted it to. It yeah. was, you know, every, and then I had this trailer that I cut and it kind of went viral. Um, I cut right. it mostly just to prove to my cast I was actually making this film. Right. And so it 
went viral and I had all these distributors and all this press reaching out to me like, who's distributing it? What's going on? You know, and these distributors would say, can I see it? And I'd show it to them and then they would go, wow, we love this movie. And I'd be like, great. You want to, you want to sell it? And they're like, well, I don't know how to sell it. I mean, it was like this, it's a niche within a niche within a niche. And at that time it's, and still today, wine films have almost no market. I mean, it's crazy because they don't sell because 99% of them are very dry and they're mm. very straightforward and they kind of, they, they play like a, you know, somebody reading a refrigerator repair manual. And so the, I think a lot of people are terrified about how to distribute them, but as like a, so, as like a, as like a doc kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like but I mean, you I, if you don't I, do it as a fictional thing and you're doing trying to do it straight I, as a doc, right? Yeah, but I I even believe also with narratives. I mean, there's a lot of narratives, but you got to look at how much they actually made. Right. I mean, Bottle Shock was a I think a very difficult film for them to finally make money on, and I think, you know, outside of Sideways, which was a, a unmitigated crazy success. Right. Um, Bottle Shock's my know, number one. That's that's my just mentioning Bottle Shock. That's my number one. Um, really. All time. Yeah, that's absolutely favorite. So, are you interested in the Judgment of Paris? Is that a thing that? You know what? Or... And I didn't know much about it actually before 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 that film. Which uh, uh-huh. it, to me though, it's it's like Titanic. You know the ending. You know the outcome. I, I knew I knew a bit about the Judgment of Paris, but it's like Titanic. You know the outcome, but you're still like, you know, when when they have that scene where he's you know first place, blah blah blah, and you're still like, oh my god, right? You still yeah. get that yeah. moment in the film, right? So it's it's like Titanic. You know, they the do it. They do it. Yeah. You know, you're still they like, do, oh my god, the they do a very down. good job. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, having having guys like Bill Pullman and Alan Rickman and and you know Chris Pine and all those char- all those good character actors are help, right? So, yeah, the cat the cast in that movie is absurd. I you know I really I think that movie's a lot of fun. It's a it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Psalm Psalm three, if you want to talk about it, Psalm three. Let's just say the Judgment of Paris is uh, extraordinarily important in the film. It's uh, it would be. I've always wanted very much to do something with the Judgment of Paris, nice. and so this film came about because of that Judgment of Paris. And uh, Bottle Shock looms large over this film. I'll just say that. I know you've got, um, um, yeah. like, you've got Stephen Spurrier in in your cast. Yeah. So obviously you've got a few, He's... you've got a few other of the cast from that uh, that time period. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so Stephen Spurrier. So I. Um, you know, the second film was a very difficult film to make. Very hard. Very hard to edit. Uh, a lot of compromises. And, you know, I mean, it's – it's. we tried to make it as simple as we could. But obviously you can tell we filmed in a lot of places. It was a lot of content. We had to whittle a lot down. It was I, – uh, I, you know, I was – God, I thought I'd never make another movie again after finishing that one. It was a very, very brutal process. But – but and I definitely wanted nothing to do with making another wine film. Definitely. Yeah. And um, I have an executive producer named Diane Carpenter who is uh, – who is very very talented woman and a very she, she she doesn't hear the word no very well, and she said you know she basically has been pushing me for a long time you have to make another one you have to make another one, and I'm like you have to make another one? about what you know yeah. what am I gonna I mean I mean if it was up to me I would make it about the Nazis and wine or something because I love history, and she's like well anything you want I'm like so anything I want, and so then you know I started ta- I started thinking like all right anything I want what does that mean. And I started thinking, you know, the, the two people I wanted in the second film that I didn't get to work with, and the only way I would make another one is if I got to work with Jancis Robinson and Steven Spurrier. And, I mean, I have I have a reverence for these two individuals for completely different reasons. Um, and now that I've worked with them, it's even greater. But um, so I reached out to them. A, a very, very smart, very wonderful man named William Kelly connected me to the two of them. And... They said yes, and I'm still I'm still amazed by it because, you know, I don't, you know, these films they have, they they a lot of people watch them and but you, but I still feel very humble about you know the people in the wine business that I have a lot of respect for. I still am kind of starstruck when I get to work with them, and the two of them were massive. So essentially, yeah. you know, that those two and Fred Dame, they meet in Paris, and I can give you some stuff about Psalm Three. They meet in Paris. And they drink, let's say, the rarest, most influential bottle of their career. And the wines that they bring are nutso. Hmm. And they have a very good spirited debate about a lot of things in wine. But 
we use this as a jumping off point for certain things. But while this is happening, the greatest blind tasters in the world are in New York City doing a secret tasting that very well might change wine. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And then, of course, those two storylines collide. And so it's a, it's a wild format. It's totally different than the others. Um, much bigger cast, but yet it's a much more contained story. Um, so it's, it's more like Psalm 1, but right. I think with the pedigree of Psalm 2 kind of thing. It's, it's a pretty I, – I have to say you know, to Diane's you know, credit, I'm, I'm, the, I'm probably the most proud of this movie of the three. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so we'll see how that, that could be a terrible thing. Who knows? But we'll see if that's uh, good or bad. I like how you're describing that because I like the second Psalm film. Uh, mm-hmm. I think like that's my second, you know, after Bottle Shock, and then the the first Psalm film. I like the single narrative in that sense, like you said. Yeah. But I like this the all the stories from the the second Psalm. Um, yeah. I like having that kind of you know you got the earthquakes. Uh, yeah. You've got you know. Um, Kind of the, you know the passing of the torch with the winemakers. You've got so many different stories. You got the Fred Dame story. You got so many, you well, know. I so can, that's kind of a cool idea. A cool idea that that if you're kind of doing that that having yeah, the two well, timelines, that's cool. I can tell you that um, that the second film itself, and I mean you can cut me off anytime you want, but the second film was if you look at the standard way you construct a narrative, whether it's a documentary or a, or a, a narrative film or anything, you know, you, you have an act structure, you have a main character. I mean. For us to totally throw that out the window on the second film and defy all logical structure, it was really scary. And I think it was um, it was nerve-wracking to release that film because it's not traditional in any sense of the word. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there, I don't know, but yeah, I think you, and for us to release that as a sequel to a film, I think everybody was expecting, okay, who are the next people you're going to follow through the Master Sommelier right. exam? Right. But I look at the Psalm series not as a film about, not as a film series about even sommeliers, really. I mean, it's from their perspective, but it's more, it's like the wine experience kind of thing. And so, you know, I mean, I have no affiliation with the quartermaster sommeliers. I have no, you know, it's like, um, I have a lot of respect for them, but it's not, you know, there's not, right. you know, they, they didn't want me to make that, <laughs> to make that first film. I mean, I fought for years just to get permission with that. Yeah. And, and they, so, gave you know, you, they gave you unprecedented access too, which was uh, amazing. They did. I certainly had to. Um, I had to fight very hard for that. It was yeah. not an easy process. But yeah, in fact, I, I got kicked out of everything. Even if I had permission to be there, everything I tried to film, they kicked me out of. But eventually, I think they realized I wasn't going to go away. You know, and so um, eventually, some of those people who were against me sat down and actually talked to me and did it on camera. Mm. And it turned out that they kind of were like, "All right, look, maybe, maybe." Maybe this idiot kid is going to make something that doesn't suck. So I, they let me. They let me continue filming, and I, I will be gracious and thankful for them for the rest of my career because yeah. I wouldn't have a career without Tom. So it's um, you know, I I owe, I owe everybody involved so much. Like you said, they want to make sure you're doing it justice, and sure. I guess the other part is there's a certain level of privacy or you or mystery, I guess you could say in one way. So I guess maybe they didn't want. You peeling back too much of the curtain and, and it, not exposing, but like you said, putting them in a bad light. I guess you could say. Yeah. But yeah, well, I mean, think about it. You've got a you've got somebody who's never made a feature film. They have no budget, and they really don't have a plan for exactly what's going to happen because they don't know. So imagine that that person comes to you and you're an organization with a lot of, you know, it's been, they've been there for 50 years and yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, so, so, you know, at the time I remember being very like upset and angry about like, why don't these people understand I'm trying, you know, but now that I look back on it, it's like, of course they were like, who the hell is this guy and why the hell? I mean, so like, you know, you got to think of like the insane risk that now I will tell you till the very end, many members of the court were very against me filming the yeah. film. But at the same time, the people who did believe in me, well, they're in all the rest of my films, <laughs> you know, Fred and, you know, all those people. Yeah. So Jay Fletcher and, you know, so it's, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm very lucky is all I'm trying yeah, to say. It's a very for fortunate sure. situation. And documentaries that are successful, I think you got a, you got a probably 60% luck in that success. Just out of curiosity, what, what are you drinking right now? I'm drinking some very basic, Pinot from Burgundy. It's uh, I don't know. My wife bought it. I don't know. Some uh, some uh, just uh, okay. 
some burgundy pinot. Yeah, but it's good. Yeah. Are you? Uh, have you got a big wine cellar yourself, or? I would if I could stop drinking it. The problem yeah. is, I uh, we have little kids, and I think my wife and I get through that by uh, drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I have I have some I have some very nice bottles, but you know, I tend to not. Um, you know, documentary filmmakers don't have a lot of money, so I don't have a lot of money to spend on wine. Yeah. But I do have some very good bottles. In fact, we have a, a 1996 Lopez de Aredia White Rioja, which is my favorite. I mean, it, it may not be my favorite wine in the world, but it's my favorite wine. I mean, it's mm. the wine that made me realize how great wine is. Not the 96. In fact, this is one of the oldest I've had. But I, I have this bottle for us to drink, I think, this week because – Psalm three and its trailer, which was a nightmare to cut, <laughs> are yeah. uh, are done and um, will be delivered shortly. And so, I'm going to drink that and wish nice. I had more of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, and I know, like I've said, I appreciate obviously with I know you're editing this, you're editing your other your other film as well. So I know you're you had a lot on your plate. So I know just taking the time. Uh, oh my god! So uh, this is no, this is great. Yeah. Once you get me, I'm I'm easy. But yeah. if the problem is figuring out how to. Nail me down. You're very patient with that, so thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, it's it's for me. It's I I do one every couple of weeks or every month, so I've I've got the time and I've got a couple a couple like like Madeline. She wants to do one closer to when her new new book comes out. So I said that's okay. Right. right Whatever. Right. I, I've got my wish list. I've got my wish list, and I'm like, okay. Whatever. Right. I'm all, no. I'm this here. is this is great. I mean, it's an honor. Right. You know, it's um, it's a funny thing for us. You know, we we still forget. Or we forget often that now kind of people consider us part of the wine world and it's mm-hmm. something that it always catches me off guard because I don't think of it. You know, it's so funny. I don't even – the first film I didn't think of as a wine film. The second one I do. Um, yeah. The third one – I mean the third one on its surface, well, it's the most wine film out of all of them. But I don't even see it that way because um, I think it's more about a lot of other things than wine. But Yeah. You know. Well, and I guess that's what makes – like you said, you're talking about – that niche of people that are that follow these films and whether it's going to be successful or not and you've got that niche of people but it's trying to get it's trying to expand it slightly out to the the broader public in a sense where sure but here's here's my opinion so whenever anybody says you know it's so funny business is a very jaded business i'm just gonna people are i'm just gonna stop you for one sec because sure, did I break up there? And then yeah. it basically saves it as a saves it as a file, and then I dr- I drag that file into my software after and uh, and do the editing. So, right, right, right. Um, it doesn't matter how many. I, I mean, I, ho- I hope I'm I hope I'm giving you what you need. I apologize. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Good. This is uh, this is great. Good. This is more more than I more than I thought. So that's perfect. Well, be careful. You, I'll give you too much. So <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, so I, had, um, I had the I had to edit Brian down to forty five minutes. So. Yeah, I've had to edit Brian down. <laughs> much less with much more, I promise. I know I know your pain. Uh, to make a short story long, as they say. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Where were we? What were you what were what were we talking about? Oh, uh appealing to the the broader public. Oh yeah, okay. So the the film business is is quite a quite a jaded's the wrong word, but I mean they're they're weathered and they, they go through a lot of swings and so that creates a, a person that's very like they want something safe. Right. You know, to sell, something they know how to sell. And the thing with thing with wine at least my films is everybody always says you know it's it's a niche and i always look at that as like the greatest blessing in the world Mm -hmm. so if if it's a niche my thought is well let's get them all let's let's market to that entire niche because we know who to market to so it's a funny thing when people are like well you know it's a it's a niche so what do we do i'm like you you open up a bottle of wine and say thank you because now we know who to sell it to and on top of it it's you know Every one of these films, if it's not, it's got to be better than the last or at least different enough that people go, whoa, wait, what is this? And so then, you know, if it's not, and that's my job here, and that's why I agreed to make a third one is because I thought how many people in their career get to make, you know, a trilogy within the same universe that ever could stand on their own. And I, I just thought what a unique thing. So, you know, with this particular movie, I've stopped thinking, okay, let's get everybody. And I've started thinking, okay, let's get everybody in the wine mm-hmm. business. And no matter what I do, there's going to be a lot of haters on this on this third film. You know, there. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people 
disliked the first film and never even watched it. I mean, there were right. so many people who just had all these problems with it. And some of them, trust me, were valid. But the, the second film, we tried to say, like, look, all right, we've got your attention. Now let's make a wine film. And, you know, a lot of those people who disliked the first film, very few of them watched the second film, which was kind of upsetting to me because I kind of made it for them. Yeah. I kind of thought, okay, fine. You don't like the whole, you know, bro-y thing of the first movie. Well, here's a movie that's about what they were crazy about. Right. Here's why they were nuts. And the third film is something completely different. I think it's much more mature, but yet certainly controversial. And I think with it, we have the chance to say, look, the person getting into wine all the way up to a master sommelier or a collector, I, I really do think the third film has something for them to love and be angry about. So, I mean, it's, and that's the goal. I mean, that really is the goal. Whereas like, you know, if you make bottle shock, you really are going for the mass. You are saying, look, let's cast it. Let's make a story that's accessible. Let's have a love story. Let's do this. This film, I am saying, if you have any interest in wine and you care at all about the history of it, you care at all about where it's going in the future, you should watch this movie, even if you hate it. Yeah. Even if you despise it, you still should have seen it. And that's the third film. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, I think um, I don't know. I'm trying to stay on my toes with how to how to make these keep these films interesting. You know. I guess with like movies like Bottle Shock and the Russell Crowe one, um, a good year, a good no. year, really good year. Is it a very good year? Something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It was Ridley Scott directed that, which is such a weird film for him to make. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and it's it's kind of. Wait, what was, was that? It was it was a, a very good year. A very good year or a good year, something along the yeah. lines. But it's it's kind of got the comedic side, and it's like you said, it's appealing to the masses. Whereas your films, especially being the specialty, it's like the specialty store in, in the town where you're that only store in town right now on on the landscape. You're the you are the you are the landscape right now. Like there's nothing else out there. The only one what? other one was sour grapes, and that was a few years ago. Right, uh, right, right. So that you know what I mean. You're you're. I like that film very much. By the way, that director's yeah. very t- very talented guy. Different kind of movie though, because it's a lot of all archival stuff. It's a very right. different kind of thing. Um, I really did enjoy that movie though a lot. Um, Interesting but, how they split the they bring in those that film footage of back in the day. Yeah, and they kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. they tie that in. That was kind of cool because it's like actually him in those in those times. Yeah, it was very well edited. I mean, they, they do they do a great job. He also did a film called Dark Water, which you should watch. It's fantastic okay. about a sail, sailor. Anyway, so that's a, that's a totally different subject. But, you know, I can't tell you how much it means to hear you say that because yeah. the crazy thing is we we drag ourselves across the coals to make these films. And I, yeah. I, I fight with my distributor often. It's like, when are you going to deliver the movie? And I kind of – I have this feeling about films in general. It doesn't have to be a wine film or anything. Films want to be bad. They really do. That's their home. Films are dying to be bad. That's their goal. They want to be terrible. And so my job is to wait them out until they give up and they say, F it. I'm going to be good finally. But sometimes that, that is a horrible process to go through. I mean, you know, and I work with my wife. She writes and produces my films with me and, and my, my best friend is a cinematographer and co-producer. I mean, it's a very family thing that we do. We have a very small crew and there's a fine line between being a control freak and a pain in the ass. And I, I, I shift into both of those often. But I think with these particular movies, we try very hard to make – and I'm going to say something. I get so in trouble for saying this all the time. I think <laughs> wine is the most boring thing on earth. I really do. And yet I'm drawn to it like a, like a moth to a flame. I yeah. love wine. I think it's the most interesting thing. But I also think it's the most boring because – People who love it, they don't know how to talk about anything else. Right. They just sit there and they go, oh, my God, and they just obsess about it. Right. But for me, I, I first of all, I love you know, alcohol is wonderful and all, but yeah. <laughs> I love the, just the, the fact that I can sit here and I can take this glass and I can talk to you about the Nazis and yet I can talk to you about my sister's wedding and I can talk to you about – all of these different things that should have no business in the same conversation, you know, war and and poverty and, you know, the movie Wall Street and all these different random topics that can all go into a glass of wine and influence what you buy and what you sell. I mean, when Wall Street came out, port sales went bonkers. Mm. And, you know, you start thinking about all these things and then you start thinking that's why wine is interesting. Wine is nothing more than an empty plate that you fill with your own stuff. 
And so sometimes that plate is gold rimmed, you know, if you're drinking like a Shave Hermitage or something, but it's still an empty plate. And the winemaker who made the, the best wines in the world, if they're worth their salt, they're going to say, my wine is a vessel for you to use for something. It really is. And so, you know, you can tell when a winemaker or a sommelier is full of shit when the wine is the end. When they bring the wine and they say, here it is, this is yeah. the reason you're at the table. Well, that's never, in my opinion, that is, that is never the reason. It's always something else. It's this, you know, maybe it's the story of how it was made. Maybe it's just the fact that you're sitting across from somebody you you would really like to sleep with. <laughs> maybe that's it. I mean, it's a, there's a million reasons why wine is wonderful. And so that's why these films, we try so hard to, to wring out the towel and figure out yeah. why, why, why is wine fascinating? And, you know, I hope we've been successful. I don't know, but. Well, so I mean, it's that, really nice to hear what you said. No, I, and I, I, thank you. And and I, for me, one of the, for example, in the second film, when you're, I think it's actually Madeline that's that's chatting about you know how wine can transport you to like you said times and places and, you know, there's a line. She says a line about something like, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're in the vines and there's a you know guy and his dog <laughs> and, you know, and that's that's exactly the moment you're talking about where it transports you and there's just. You know, a guy tending his tending his grapes, and there's his dog, and those are the kind of moments, like you said, that uh, that wine is is transportative, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it really is. It's yeah. uh, it really is, and I think that's the other thing too. Social media, and there's a very strange thing. I mean, millennials in that age group they get a lot of flack, especially from the older generation. But the one thing millennials do that I think the older generation didn't do is they Google everything. You know, and so the second you have something and some of it's like, what do people think about this? But the rest of it is, what is it? And that's why you see things like and some of it's really annoying. There's some hipster stuff where, you know, all the coffee has to be locally sourced and all this stuff. But at the same time, they're locally sourcing things and they care where it comes from and they care who made it and they care where they're buying it from. And they care if people were harmed in that process. And that's really that's great for wine. And so all of a sudden you have people who are interested in a Certico in Greece and, you know, all these things that I think 20 years ago, that's why wine has the reputation of being so hoity-toity because only a few people had access to know the stuff about it. And, you know, the door's wide open now. And that's the great thing about, I think if, you, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, Twitter's bad and this is bad and. Millennials don't know what they're doing. But the truth is I really think it's very good for a thing like wine to have people want to know where it came from, who made it, what it is. I mean, you know. Kind of fact, I, I just think, kind of fact check it almost, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also, you know, there's so much bullshit out there. Yeah. It gives you a chance to kind of wade through it and figure out what do I like. And that's why it's good to have critics and sommeliers and online reviews and, you know, your own opinion. And, you know, but before it wasn't that. Prior to the internet and prior to Twitter and prior to all this stuff, it was literally just, and I'm going to use a name, a person I actually have a lot of respect for, but it was what does Robert Parker think? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I was just thinking the same this? thing. And, yeah. yeah, and I, I really, I have an enormous amount of respect for this guy. I think yeah. I, I'm like so tired of people slandering him because it's yeah. just ridiculous. But anyways. When when he came around with with the point system and all that, you you people still use it and it's there's a there's value to it because at the time, you needed someone to say, this is something worth buying, or this is something that has a, there, you have to put some sort of value to, to anything. You have to put some sort of point system to something. I mean, you get 100%. grades in school, you get, you, you, you need somebody to say, you know what? I know what I'm talking about. This is good stuff. And well, here's, here's the interesting thing about the analogy with grades in school. In grades in school, if you get a B, that's what you got. But if Jancis Robinson gives a wine a B, yeah. Well, you can go, I don't agree with you at all. You're right. wrong. Right. And you can go and then someone else can. So the, the crazy thing about wine. Now, I have a, you know, I could get into a whole diatribe about my opinion about critics rating wine. Um, I happen to think Jancis is a genius. So her, her taste is very, very good. But that's not to say she's not been wrong. I mean, I mean right. Jesus. I mean, you know, even people like Roger Ebert hated, uh, you know, um, a lot of films that I've loved. Yeah. So, the, so the point is. It's 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 so subjective, but there are a lot of really terrible critics out there, yeah. and there are a lot of really terrible 
online writers and reviewers of wine. And then on the other side, you have people who just love everything and do pay for play. And if they send them samples, it's a good deal. You know, they give it a good rating. So the problem with wine is it's, it's all over the map. And it's so, I mean, finding the right critic you believe in is almost harder than finding the right obscure, cheap wine you're going to love. I mean, it's now at this point, it's so bonkers to even try to, and that's why I go back to blind tasting all the time. Cause I really do think there is no possible way to evaluate a wine objectively unless it is blind. That is it. I, I stand on this and I will die on this hill. Yeah. And it, the third film is what cemented me on this. And it is absolutely ridiculous to think a critic can walk into a Bordeaux tasting and taste 500 wines in a day or 300 or 100 or even 10. And they're looking at the label and they know exactly who made it and they know the guy who made it and they know how much it costs and they know – that sometimes somebody needs a break and sometimes they don't like this guy. Right, and sometimes, yeah. and it's, that's, that is not the way to evaluate something that is a finite thing. Rating a wine and reviewing a wine is not reviewing a movie. You know, because the minute you see Brad Pitt in a movie, you, you, you can't unsee Brad Pitt. Right. But with yeah. a wine, you can certainly taste it and go, I am not even sure what varietal this is, but I yeah. love it. Yeah. And here's why I love it. And yeah. that's why I think, and of course, to do blind tasting is, is uneconomical for a lot of critics because it's impossible. You yeah. can't taste a hundred wines blind. I mean, it's, but I do think it's still the only way to objectively do it. So well, and and I totally agree because like there's a there's wine critics in in like Vancouver in my area, and one of my favorite wineries in the Okanagan never gets mentioned. Yeah. And it, which like, one is that? Which uh, one is it? It's called Township Seven. Township Seven. Okay, yeah. I'll try it. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, there's this. That was my aha winery or I have wine was uh, the, the Black Dog. It's called Black Dog. It's like a Bordeaux blend. Like you said, the That's whole great. pay-to-play type system, they never get mentioned, right? And yeah, if, well, they're, if they're not playing ball well, or... or I mean, know. I would love... So we've talked a lot about, you know, after making the third wine film, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with making more wine stuff. I sort of feel this was a very good experience. I really liked it. Now, I'd love to film up in the Okanagan. That's, you know, one of about 20 regions I have not filmed in. Mm. And I've never been there. I mean, I've been to Vancouver, and right. I love God, I love Vancouver. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, it's but it's a shame. I mean, I get you know, I get you wouldn't believe the personal messages I get on Twitter and Instagram and all these things because I run all the social media for the films. By the way, it's all me. I shouldn't because I'm crazy, but at the same time, I do. They're all like, you know, why have you not filmed in Hungary? Why have you not filmed in Georgia? Why have you not filmed in? I mean, geez, I filmed in Italy like 20 times, 25, 30 times. If you count my travel show, maybe 50 times. And so the crazy thing is there are still 100 wine regions in Italy I have never been to. Yeah. And that's – I mean I have been to Italy so many times. I mean I yeah. spent maybe a year of my life there if you had it all up probably. So it's yeah. like – maybe not that much, but it's a lot. And the point is it's just like I – mean, even in France, I think about the places I've – I haven't filmed in the Savoie. I haven't filmed yeah. – you know, I haven't filmed for the Somme films in Provence. I've been there several times. But then you start thinking about the Lake Erie Islands, Niagara, the Finger Lakes, Mendoza, all these different places. I mean, we filmed in Chile. But, you know, it's just – it's, it's never-ending, and that's what's so freaking awesome about it. Yeah. So uh, Okanagan is high, high, high on my list. Yeah. I just have to figure out how to work it in. So. And, you know, that's the other that's the other good thing about – obviously, the third one – is has got as much travel as the second one, but that's another cool thing about the second one was just as a, you know, travel wine travel show. You know what I mean? On on a yeah. lowest common denominator, just seeing all these great areas that you went to and and filming in and Hermitage and all these areas. Yeah, right? yeah. Just and there's so many there's so many areas in the film that are not even name checked. You know, they're not yeah. even um, like uh, Alto Adige. We don't even mention. In fact, the whole Alsace segment in part two was supposed to be Alto Adige. Um, because Alto Adige in northern Italy, they speak they speak a uh, Tyrolean, which is a version of Austrian German, and the, you know they are so affected by war right. and Mussolini and all this stuff. I mean, they they just stole that part from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and so we were going to do it there. And then you know I've had a love affair with Alsace ever since I was a kid, having to do with a number of reasons, mostly war. But so we we shifted it to there, and because you're, you're there big was on the history this, side, eh? You're big on the history yeah, side. Yeah, that's that. It's absolutely the reason I I do this stuff. That's and cool. you know, it's it. There's no question about it. I mean, I I started my career expecting. I mean, I, I started in narratives, and but at the same time, you know, outside of a western and a horror film, I have to make before I die. You know, nature documentaries were my thing, and then history. So it's it's basically 
And you'll see that in the third one. The third one, like I said, it's very focused. It's very, you know, it moves forward, but it is incredibly international. But I did something in the third film I didn't want to do. In fact, when I sat down and said, if I'm going to make a third movie, I'm going to set it in Eastern Europe. I'm going to set it in, I mean, the Holy Land, which if I make a fourth one, it'll be in the Holy Land. There's no question about it. It'll be... It'll be in Israel. It'll be in Cyprus. It'll be in, I'm hoping, Iran. It'll be in these kind of places because I, I, I'm dying to film something about wine in those places. I ended up making another film that takes place in, you know, we hadn't filmed in England before, so I'm glad that the UK is a huge, huge factor in this movie. Nice. Yeah. But, you know, we filmed in France. We never filmed in Paris, so that's new, I guess. But we filmed in France. We filmed in the United States. So I'm going to get a lot of angry things going, where the hell's New Zealand? Where the hell's this? But but this story had to be told. What's in part three had to be done, had to get it off our chest, we had to deal with it. So um, so I, I just if anyone listens to your podcast, I apologize for not filming in your wine region. Um, you know, anyways, it's uh, we but we will. We will. And then, I mean, like you said, you can't you can't hit them all. It's it's impossible and and the story was the way the story is unfolding the way it's unfolding. So Right, right, right. Yeah, you kinda do I think a documentary is equal parts, whether it's about a cyclist or wine. It's equal parts. What do you want to make? What are you willing to bend based on what you want to make? And then also what happens? Yeah. And I think a good documentary director follows something interesting. But yet you don't follow it to a dead end. You try very hard to say this. I have to complete. And something happened in Psalm 3, which my wife and my other co-producer Jackson, God bless their souls, they let me pursue. Where it happened and it was not supposed to be in the movie and it is now like – I mean, it's 50% of the film. And so we, we gave it a shot and, and we went down this road and it, it just sort of it, it changed everything. And I think in the beginning, everybody was like, man, you are nuts. And it, uh, it works. So it's, um, you got to, as a documentary filmmaker, you have to listen. I also like your, your like you said, it, you're, it's kind of a small, you've got a small focus, you've got a small kind of family uh, of of people that are are with you and and I think when having the group of people that you do that you use through the films, sure. I'm 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 assuming and I know from watching your Instagram and stuff, you've got a few of the same kind of you know reoccurring reoccurring um, you know casts, right? Guys like Brad oh, and, and Raj and and different people. Um, yeah, virtually virtually everybody. Yeah, that was in the first and second are in the third. So I mean, it's basically. Jay Fletcher was not in the second one, um, but he's in the third, and he's a master sommelier based out in Aspen. But you know, it, yeah, absolutely. And you know, Carol Meredith, who's a winemaker in Napa, who I adore. Um, mm-hmm. God, I love her so much. She's the one who discovered that Zinfandel is not from America, but it's a Croat or it's a Croatian grape called Tribadrag. She's a uh, oh boy, she's so funny and uh, and she's very smart, whip smart human being. But she basically said, like, when I, I said, look, I want to interview you for Psalm 3. And she's like, it's really fun being in your, like, repertory of, like, theater players for these movies. <laughs> and it's like, because, you know, you, you kind of have to keep with the same people. And, you know, we had a, we had a few more in this one, especially yeah. Stephen and Jancis being being major. But, right. Yeah. But it's, it's it makes you feel like, and I, a lot of these, like you said, a lot of, a lot of these guys uh, that have been in them, I follow through with Instagram as well. So it, it makes you feel like you're following those those same guys and you're you're getting to know them and you're and you're continuing along with them uh as you go through the movies so uh as a as a fan you know you've you kind of you know what i mean what's the word i'm looking for like you're kind of no there's a through line there with that and that 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 means that means a lot because i i will tell you that it's documentaries often have this have this stigma and i think it's like the like the michael moore stigma where like if you were in the documentary, you don't want to be in another one with that person. Hmm. You know, and a lot of documentarians, they operate in um I don't want to say a trickery or something, but they operate in a way where it's like they're trying to get something where they won't tell the subject what they're trying to get. Right. And I certainly operate that way, but it's not out of deception. It's more out of sometimes I don't know what the hell I'm looking for. Right. So it's so uh, but I've never had somebody I've filmed with say, I don't want to be in your next film. And that's a huge honor to me. And oftentimes those kind of movies, you don't want to watch them because they're commercials. But my films are strange where I'm, I, I feel like we're able to traverse the world of I'm friends with all these people. And yet I'm able to kind of 
make them stumble on camera and not have right. to, you know, it, because I have to show them as real humans and there's got to be some kind of actual conflict. But you know, I think we're very lucky. And I think the wine world, too, is a very generous world, Absolutely. an incredibly generous Absolutely. world with their time, yeah. with their everything. And I think it's uh, it's a wonderful place to make films in if you can figure out stories that don't suck. You know, well, and and to have all these casts be that accommodating, you know, to have all these play, um, you know, professionals in the in the wine world be so accommodating. I guess my point, I was thinking back to that to earlier. My point was, I guess, you get that emotional investment though, seeing those seeing those people through the films, and yeah, you know that saying about if you see someone, there's a certain amount of hours that you see that person, and then you get that emotional connection and. So even having someone on Instagram after a while, seeing that person's face, you'll get that emotional connection with them. And so then you see them on this, you see them, there's a certain, I think it was, do you know Christy Norman? She's a, a psalm yeah. in LA. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I don't know her personally, but I know her, yeah. like you say, through social media. I yeah. yeah. I had her on, I had her on, uh, one of my episodes, uh, one of my podcasts and uh-huh. she, she said something like there's a certain amount of hours that after someone sees your face for a certain amount of time, then they feel that that kinship or friendship or that emotional connection with that person. And so seeing that person, seeing, you know, you see the people in the second film, you're like, Oh, Hey, you get that. And then, you know, the third will be the same way where you see that person again in the third one. Yeah. It's just that emotional, you get that emotional kind of connection with that person. And uh, you feel like you've known them forever kind of mentality, right? Yeah. That's great. Well, there's, I mean, there's some uh, very talented filmmakers who have gone through and they've sort of followed people over time. Um, the five and up series is, is a big one. Right. Um, a, Br- a British director did this incredible thing where he followed people. God, I mean, I think he's like 54 and up now, but he feel he films another film like every seven years. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's strange as a, as a filmmaker to have the opportunity to kind of keep filming these movies where you see where these people are and yet find a story that has nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm, it's not like what's Brian doing right now, but yet you get to see what he's doing through the movies. Right. I have to, the one task I have is if I'm going to keep making these, which I, I doubt there'll be a fourth song, but to be honest with you, you said that for the knows? first couple too, right? So, Oh, certainly. I've certainly said a million times I'd never make another one. And I've realized I'm full of shit. So the, uh, but, you know, it's it's one of these things where, I mean, I, right now I could pitch you 10 ideas I'd make for the fourth song, and that's crazy, I mean, because I could. It's, um, yeah. there's a lot of good original stuff out there. You know, there really is, and yet, to be able to use this same kind of core group, I mean, you'll see when you see part three how Delin fits in. It's, it's, I love it. Yeah. I mean, he'll probably be angry with me that he's not in more of the movie, but at the same time, where he is. Yeah. I just, I love it. I mean, it's just perfect. It's the right way it should have happened. And he's, how Dustin he, comes in. It's he's just the best. Right. Dylan is the best for when, when he does his blind tastings. Yeah. He's so eloquent, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to, for him on camera to, to, to blind taste is just, he's just got that flair about him. Uh, for, yeah. Yeah. For he's, he's, he's descriptive a... and yeah. Dylan's great. Dylan is a, uh, Dylan's great. Dylan's, I mean, and that's the other interesting thing about these, let's just say the four guys, but you know, all the entire cast that ends yeah. up being in these movies, they do have a good ability to encompass kind of what the wine business is. When you got people like Delin who are upfront, kind of good, very good looking. I mean, Delin could be like the host of a show or, mm-hmm. you know, and then you also have people like Ian who are very cerebral and very this and, you know, crazy passionate and, and then you have people like Brian who are very charismatic and, you know, very funny guy. And then you have Dustin who's like this – Dustin's like a, a – he's so good at business and he really wants to do things right. It's very funny. And then you have people like Jancis and you have people like Steve and you have people like Fred. And by the time you look at Madeline and all these people, you kind of get a picture of – it's small but at least a, a sort of picture of kind of how the whole – and if you really look at it, I mean, Lisa Perotti Brown from The Wine Advocates in the third film. There is no – I mean, it's astounding to see a movie where you have The Wine Advocate, Jancis Robinson, yeah. Fred Dame, Delyn Proctor. Why are all these people in yeah. the same movie? And the general public would be like, well, because it's about wine. But if you're really into wine, you'd be like, man, these people have a lot of differing yeah. <laughs> views about stuff. So, you well, know, that's organic. That's a, that's a good snapshot of literally the wine world for the last 30 years – 
Yeah. You've yeah, got yeah. you've got every major player that's been in the wine world in the last thirty years, you've got a great representation of everyone. Uh, and that's the thing about wine is like you said, you could do how many more stories could you do? There's but that's the thing about wine is there's so many nuances to wine and right. the wine world the wine world you know um barrel making glass making i mean there's there's how many different glasses there's a glass for every different type of grape right right, I mean, right, right. you could do you know i mean there's a story on that if you wanted right so well the tri- the tricky thing is and i think this is what's made a lot of wine content not exciting is that people are always trying to teach and they forget to entertain and I think the thing that worked and made Sam so kind of out of left field and, and I think exciting for an audience was our goal was to entertain you. I mean, we were not trying to teach. Yet, at the same time, there is an enormous amount of exposition and learning you have to do just to understand what the hell people are talking about. So, you know, we often have to take these moments and say like, I mean, we could never teach you about, if you look at someone. Germany is an incredibly complicated place and I, we agonize about what the hell, how do we communicate how hard it is to learn everything they're learning? So we realize, let's just not do that. Let's just show how funny it is to try to show how complicated Germany is as a region to learn. So you're not actually learning anything, but you are learning and while you're laughing at, at least I hope you are, about like Germany, German language is nuts and the Germans are so straight laced and they have their like mentality about yeah. them. So you've got these guys trying to learn these incredibly complicated umlaut words where, you know, you're really just watching the performance of the people and you're like, man, these Germans are so German. These, yeah. these Americans are so American. That kind of thing is what I think is entertaining about wine. And so I think it's a matter of approaching the subject, you know, from an entertainment standpoint instead of let's learn. And I think a lot of times it's – with wine, it's always let me show you, let me show you, let me show you this region, let me show you how pretty it is, let me show you why it's – instead of going, you know, let me entertain you in this place. And I'm trying so hard to move that direction instead of um, – because you know, there's plenty of great documentaries out there that are just let's learn about South Africa right. or let's learn. So, you know, I'm trying to walk the line and I, and I hope that we're doing it. We'll see. I mean, third well, film may test you, but – I was entertained. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> It's good. I mean, it helps if you're drunk, but yeah. Yeah. Is there any wine that for you recently, speaking about emotion and wine and something that evoked an emotion, you were talking about the wine that you're going to drink maybe later this week, but uh, Mm -hmm. is there there anything else that recently you're like something that just hit you uh, on an, you know what I mean? On an emotional level or. uh... Oh, sir. I mean, I can talk to you about a wine in the film. That in the in Psalm three that emo, like knocked me knocked my socks off. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean in Psalm three, we had a very serendipitous, so a very serendipitous scene that I can tell you about, yeah. where Delin Proctor sources a 1972 Clos de Val, which is a wine in Napa. It was in the Judgment of Paris. It's um, Clos de Val. It was their first vintage. And I think honestly, I think they were lucky to be in the Judgment of Paris because mm-hmm. they were they just started. I mean, they were. You know, and they, they didn't perform incredibly well in the first one, but in a later retesting, they won in mm. the 80s. And uh, But I will tell you, this 72 that we drank, that, I mean, at one in the morning or midnight, Delin called a guy he knows at Quote of All named Armin. And Armin said, no way can we ever give you this bottle. There's like five left in the world or whatever. And I just kept pushing to let I'm like, no, 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 you got to keep, keep, you know, and we, of course we were drinking. We were, you know, I had the worst hangover of my life the next day. But so he kept asking and Armin said, fine, fine. I can, I'll get you this bottle. Meet me at Premier Napa Valley, this auction tomorrow. And he got it. And of course I'm in filming mode. We're trying to get content, but this was a completely unplanned scene. Yeah. You know, judgment of Paris wine gets open. I will tell you this bottle of wine was magnificent on levels that I am not qualified to explain. I mean, it was, it was so perfectly balanced. Mm. I mean, the acid, the fruit, the everything, it was just unbelievable. And the, the thing I've always said about like the Shav Hermitage when I drank that in the second film, every single sip was like 10 bottles of wine. Every minute it changed every single, I mean, it was literally the most complex yet excessively beautiful glass of wine I've ever had in my life. And that 72 Cote of All was like this. It was mm. every minute it was open, it changed for the better, but yet for the different. Every sip was different and yet still the same wine. I mean, it was just incredible, mm. incredible. And the, the, the thing about both of those wines were I drank them in very 
rushed, stressful situations where there's a lot to manage, multiple cameras, we're in environments that are hard to film, you know, sound is bad, you know, all these things. And yet the wine is able to step in and say, shut up, look at how freaking good I am. And so that, that, that 72 quote of all was, it will be, you know, on my deathbed, I have a very strong feeling that bottle will be one I will still remember as being an incredible, incredible bottle of wine. That's wonderful. Uh, that's yeah. a great that's and that's the thing about wine is you you have those memories you get that you get that association you have a great glass you have a great bottle and you get that that memory that goes with it that moment uh that's associated with it right so sure 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 of course and that's what that's for me that's what sharing sharing wine with friends and and having those moments is what's all about right is is uh, absolutely no nope. having those great moments that's what Bian- like Bianca, no question about Bianca says in in her, hers you know, having that great bottle of wine and the, the podcast in the podcast we did, having that great bottle of wine, you don't necessarily need it. If you're having a birthday or you're having some anniversary, you don't necessarily need that great bottle because that's already a great moment. But it's right. pulling out that bottle when you're just having dinner with friends who are passionate about wine and pulling out that great bottle makes that moment special, right? Yes, 100%. That's yeah. a, I like that. Yeah. Bianca's a, Bianca's a very, very smart person. So very, I, I like that. Very eloquent, very articulate. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, yeah, she's a force. She's a force of nature, that girl. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's not messing around. I, I would, yeah. this, this is, how, this is how our conversation went. She would say something. I would go, yeah, yeah. Like that. Like what you said. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, it was about it. I, I couldn't, I, there's nothing. I'd be like, uh-huh. I, I, I feel right, the same. Right, right. I feel the same. Yeah. I, agree. I was half the, half the podcast is me saying, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, she's 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 very uh, she's she's one of the good guys. She's good. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jason. I appreciate this. Oh, my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope hope you interview more filmmakers. I hope I didn't ruin that for you. <laughs> but uh, anyways, good good to talk. I think we're gonna leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friendsofthevine.podbean.com. Take care. Have a glass for me.